Last year wasn't too bad. This year started out on a bumpy road. I'm gonna need a lot more than street smarts to crack these cases. These New Year mysteries. I had everything I ever needed. The family, the job, the house. I was living the dream, but it wasn't enough. I was kidnapped by desire for power. But who could hold so much power? Good to see everybody this morning. Happy President's Day weekend, or happy President's weekend. Yeah, happy President's Day weekend. Um, I hope you are having an incredible weekend. We're finishing up our series. We've been talking about New Year's mysteries. And if you want to pull out the outline that you got when you came in, and on the front it says, Kidnapped by Desire. And if you would... I changed it at the last minute. If you would mark out the word by, all right? We're going to talk about kidnapped desire. In 2003, in the city of Cleveland, Ohio, there was a gentleman by the name of Ariel Castro. And he kidnapped Amanda Berry the day before her 17th birthday. Of course, she didn't see it coming, never expected it. Her family didn't know what to do. But Mr. Castro did not just uh, kidnap Amanda. He also kidnapped two other ladies, one named Michelle and the other named Gina. He chained them up. He starved them, raped them. Amanda, eventually, the 16-year-old, became pregnant and had a child while she was being held hostage. One day, after 10 years of being kidnapped, being held hostage, parents, of course, had no idea uh, where they were, but they were still there in Cleveland. One day, she noticed that the door was unlocked and Mr. Castro was gone. And so she rushed to the door and she opened it up and on the other side was the outside door and it just happened to be locked. But she saw a neighbor out there, and she began to wave and jump up and down and make a bunch of noise to get the neighbor's um, attention. And the neighbor saw and was trying to figure out what happened, and she kicked at the bottom of the door. And eventually, she was able to get out. Her and the neighbor went to the police station. The police came, set Gina and Michelle free as well, and arrested Mr. Castro. And he is spending the rest of his life in prison. They just uh, recently, not long ago, wrote a book about their whole ordeal. And there's no doubt, I can't imagine what it might be like to be kidnapped, to be snatched away, to be taken when you least expect it to happen. But you know, when you look in the scripture, you realize that we have a villain. Jesus, from his own mouth, said in John 10.10 10, that there's a thief, there's a kidnapper, and that his desire might not be to rape and chain and starve, but it is to steal and kill and destroy. And, uh, you know, this week I was thinking about villains. I was thinking about real-life villains. I was thinking about even cartoon villains. How many of you have seen the movie 101 Dalmatians? You seen the movie? 
Now, who is the villain in that movie? Yes, Cruella DeVille, all right? And as a result, every good villain doesn't go and do the dirty work. They have henchmen. And I don't know about in the movie, but at least in the cartoon version, the henchmen aren't really that smart. And they always kind of, you know, like this. They kind of creep along. And then they try to take the puppies and, and take them away. Well, the same thing is true with our adversary. Our adversary has some henchmen who try to sneak up on you and me. And what they want to kidnap is your desire. The word desire means longing. They want to kidnap your passion, your purpose, your dreams. Your, your, your destiny, your desire to think big, to run after the impossible. They, they want to kidnap that. And that's really what I want us to spend some time talking about today. And I want to start talking about these henchmen, all right, that kidnap your desire and mine. There are three of them. Here's the first one if you want to jot it down. It's weariness. Weariness. When you and I get tired, we tend to settle for good enough. Now, I've got, went to McDonald's, and I got a small Coke, I got a medium Coke, and I got a large Coke. And the way I think about it is, is nobody wants medium. You're either not hungry or you are hungry. But who wants to be the middle, lukewarm? You know, who, who, who wants to settle? A medium is settling. And that's exactly what weariness can do, can it? it? It can cause you and I to settle for, you know what? I've got a good enough marriage. I mean, I've got a medium marriage. It's not a small. I mean, it's not like we hate one another or dread coming home. No, it's not a large. It's not that we're soulmates or anything like that. But I mean, I got a medium. A medium's pretty good. I mean, there's quite a bit there. I, I got a medium job. I mean, I pay the bills. I mean, it's not like a small where, where I don't even make enough to take care of, but, but, but a large, I'm just too tired. I'm too tired to have a large marriage. I'm too tired to be a large parent. I'm too tired to be, you know, run after a large business or a large job or large finances or to be in shape in a large way. No, no, I, I, just medium. Weariness has a way of kidnapping your passion, your dreams, and ultimately your desire. I know, you know, Easter's around the corner, and we always do a plethora of services here at Potential, and I can tell you the greatest temptation is you, you know, a lot of times we've done seven, eight services in a row, where I, we were doing uh, here in the Cooper City building, and then in the student building. And so I'd do a service here, and then I'd walk over there and do another service, because while we were doing the teaching here, they were doing the worship over there, and then flip-flop it. And while you get to that service number seven and eight, you know what the temptation is? Medium. To just make it through. Now, I'm going to say all the same words, but you lose your passion. It gets kidnapped. Your desire can get kidnapped. Weariness can do that to you in really all areas of our lives. That's why God, when he wrote down, like, the, here's my most important things for you to remember, the top ten. When God wrote down the Ten Commandments, did you know that one of them was to rest? Look with me in your outline, Exodus chapter 20. It says, remember the Sabbath day and treat it holy. Six days you may work and do all of your tasks. But on the seventh day, it's Sabbath. It's to be a Sabbath to your Lord, your God. Do not do any work on it. 
Not you, not your sons or your daughters, your male or female servants, your animals, or the immigrant who is living with you. Because the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days, and he rested on the seventh day. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God commands and God modeled rest. And in order for us to overcome weariness, we have to have rhythm and rest. In other words, God says it's work, 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 rest. Work, 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 rest. Work, 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 rest. It's incredible that God has created you and I with the capacity to do six days of work, but only if we rest. And if we don't rest on that seventh day or one out of seven days, we will tend to settle for medium and even maybe lean towards small because you just don't have the energy. See, the Sabbath is not some kind of legalistic thing. In the New Testament, look what it says in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. It says, then Jesus said to the Pharisees, all right, so these are the words of Jesus. The Sabbath day was made, and if you would, read those last three words out loud with me. Made to help, now again, to, and who is people? Yeah, you a people, right? I'm a people. In other words, Jesus said, look, 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 the Sabbath's not some kind of legalistic thing. I, as your creator, created you with the capacity to be large, to do incredible things. But in order to do that kind, to, in order to have a large marriage or large finances or large business or be a large parent or be a large friend, you got to rest every seven days. Not pretend to rest, not act if you're resting. You have to rest. So weariness is a henchman that often kidnaps and holds hostage our passion, our desire, our dreams. Here's the second one, and, and I call this henchman drifting. This is the tendency that sheep have to wander away. Now, I'm not a shepherd, I'm not a farmer, but when I did go to Israel, I remember the shepherds telling us that what sheep do is they just start eating the grass, and as they're eating the grass, they're not paying attention to where they are, and all of a sudden they look up and they're like, how did I get here? I brought you another illustration as well. All right. Yeah. I brought Harley. All right, Harley is a year old. Our other uh, dog passed away about a year ago, and so we got Harley. Now, we used to have a house where you just let the dogs out, and they go out, and it was easy, and you didn't have to worry about it, but now we live at a place where you have to take them out on a leash. Anybody, and this is, that's no fun at all. Because what I've noticed is, is she gets distracted. Because when I take the dogs out on a leash, I'm ready. I'm not there for me. I, I mean, I'm, I'm mad enough that i got to clean up after them. I mean, that seems unfair. So I'm there for them to do their deal and move on. And, uh, you, know, you, you know, if you've ever done that, you know there's that moment where you're like, okay, she's about to do it. All right? I mean, I start to get excited. All right? I mean, and then there's a loud car horn or a door locks and you know what happens she gets distracted all of a sudden and we have to start all over 
she drifts. And that's exactly the same henchman that the enemy uses on you and I to get us to, to drift. Not evil, just get distracted. Something happens, it grabs your attention, and it moves you in a different direction. Look with me at the scripture. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. It says, so we must listen very carefully to the truth, the truth we have heard, or we may do what? Yeah, drift away from it. Lose our purpose. Drift away from our passion. Drift away from our destiny. Drift away from our, our dreams. You ready to go back? All right, let me take her back real quick. Now, I want us to look at that passage in Acts, all right? <clears throat> because it really gives us um, some good insight to exactly how this works. In Acts chapter 28, Paul is talking to, to the Jewish people. And he's trying to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah. And it says he worked all day long, he tried to persuade them. And then in verse 24, he, he, you know, they wore themselves out arguing and Paul says one final thing to them. Here's the final word of Paul. He says, the Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah. So he's going to quote Isaiah the prophet. He says, go and say to this people, your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, go and say, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. Why? Why will we see but not understand? Why? In verse 27, for the hearts of these people are what? Out beside that, you might write the word calloused. Anybody ever get callous on their hands? Where do you get calluses from? Right? Doing the same thing over and over again. You get calluses on your feet. It's thickened skin. You don't feel where you have calluses, do you? Right? You get calluses on your hand. You can put a pricket with a pin, and you don't feel it like a place where you don't have callous. Well, that's the word that's used here. He says the reason you don't hear and the reason you don't understand is because your heart has become calloused. Your heart has become hard. He says, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and therefore they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. In other words, they can't find their destiny. They can't find their purpose. So I want you to know that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles. That's why if you're here and you're not a Jewish person, you're a Gentile, the reason you've been able to hear the gospel is because the Jews had said no over and over again. And as a result, just like if you grab a rake or a shovel over and over again, you get calluses, their heart had begun to become calloused. That's why if you're here today, it's a dangerous place to be if you're not obedient to whatever God taps you on the shoulder about. Because the Bible teaches that every time you say no, your heart gets a little bit harder and a little bit hard, a little more calloused and a little more calloused to where you and I get to the point to where we can't hear what God is saying. And when you and I can't hear what God's saying, what's the tendency to do? It's to drift. Same thing happens, like I said, with our, with our animal, our pets, or our, our kids. One of the most challenging things to do as a parent is to discipline, isn't it? It takes a lot of energy. So what do we tend to do? We tend to put it off. 
We tell our kids things like this. You better stop that before I get to three. One. I'm serious. One and a half. Right? And then you give them a dirty look. Two. I'm serious. We act like we're getting up. Two and a half. Two and three quarters. Two and four fifths. Two and seven eighths. Right? Now, when we do that, when we talk, when we yell over and over again, whether it be with our kids, our children, or whether it be with our pets, then eventually they are out and they're playing and they start to run towards the street and you're, what? Stop, stop. What happens? They don't hear you. It's not because they don't hear your voice. It's that they've gotten so used to your voice without any kind of action that they've become what? Calloused. It becomes very dangerous. Why? Because they can get hurt. Not because you don't see the danger. Not because you don't tell them there is danger. Because they have gotten hard. They have gotten calloused. Same thing happens to us in our walk with God. We tend to drift. Just like children. Just like sheep. Just like my little puppy dog. Not because you're evil person. You just get distracted. And before you know it, you're running after a relationship or you're running after a business or you're running after some kind of financing and you're headed for the street and a vehicle is coming and God is, stop! <laughs> no, no, don't do that. But we don't hear because we've become calloused. And our passion, our desire gets kidnapped by our drift. Last one is discouragement. When we get discouraged, isn't it easy to settle for medium? Right? I mean, why, why, why go after a large? Never going to happen. We tend to assume that we were made for medium. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, for this reason, we will never become discouraged. And then it gives us some reasons to be discouraged. It says, even though being, even though our physical being is gradually decaying. Now, that's pretty discouraging, isn't it? What's he saying? Even though you're getting old, and if you're here and you're in your 20s, listen, you're going to get old too. And because of your cockiness, I can't wait. <laughs> right? he says, he, that's what he says. He says, you're going to get old, and everything that comes with getting older, yet, our spiritual being is being renewed day after day. And this small and temporary trouble we suffer will bring us tremendous and eternal glory. Much greater than the trouble. For we fix our attention not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. What can be seen lasts only a short time, but what cannot be seen lasts forever. Discouragement is a result of focusing on what we can see, not on what God has said. Joyce Meyer said, depression begins with disappointment. And when we get disappointed... When God doesn't do what we thought he would, when we thought he would, we become discouraged. And when you get discouraged, you give up on large. This is the best. It's going to be. Best marriage. I mean, at least it's not a small. Best finances. At least it's not a small. I mean, what's it matter if I try? I'll never get a large. It can't happen. That doesn't, ha that doesn't happen to me. Not me. I mean, maybe others, but not me. But the truth is, is if you remember our story, Amanda, Gina, and Michelle all escaped from their kidnapper. They were all set free. And I believe that the same thing can happen to you. Even if you have been kidnapped, your dreams, your it's been a long time since you got up with a pep in your step. It's been a long time since you really believed that you could have a large marriage. 
that you could have a large business, that you could have large finances, that you could experience large health. Maybe it's been a really long time, but just like those three girls, you can break free and you can experience your passion, your dreams, your desire, and your longing for everything God created you to be. Now, in order to get our mojo back, we're going to look at the key text that's found in Revelation. In Revelation, John is at, towards the end of his life. Jesus reveals himself to John. That's why it's called Revelation. And Jesus tells John to write a letter to seven different churches in seven different cities. These churches, I think it's fair to say, in different ways, it begin to settle for medium. And Jesus told John, he says, do you see who I am? Because I am who I am. You need to write them and you need to challenge them to be large. I created them to be large. And I think the same principles that applies for those churches in those cities can apply for you and I today. I believe that they can break us free from our kidnapper so that we can experience our dreams. And here's the key thing I want us to see. There are three of them found in Revelation chapter 3. He says, write to the church at Sardis. He says, I know all the things that you do, that you have a reputation for being alive. In other words, people talk, people think that you're alive, but you are dead. And out beside that, you might write, he says, but you're, you've been kidnapped. There's a lot of talk about how well you're doing, but the truth is you've been kidnapped. So he tells him to do three things. Wake up. That's the first one. Strengthen what little remains. That's the second. For even what's left is almost dead. He says, I find, your actions to be, to do, uh, I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. And then the third thing is found in verse 3. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly, unexpected as a thief. Now that tells me God takes it really, really serious when we were created to be a large and we settle for a medium or we live as a small. He says, if you don't wake up, I'm coming because I created you to be so much more. So how do we break free? Well, here's what I put. We break free from our weariness. Of course, we have to rest. But what he's, the principle that he's given us here is that we break free from our weariness by waking up. Remember what he said in Revelation 3, the first thing? Wake up. He says, wake up. <laughs> the words literally mean to be alert. And of course, the church at Sardis was well aware of this because the city of Sardis, on two different occasions, had been overrun by the enemy because they were, had snuck in without the guards seeing it, without the guards being aware of it. So before they could do anything, they were actually overtook. So when John writes this letter to Sardis, they're like, oh man, we get it. We need to, we need to look around. We, we need to be awake. We need to be paying attention because kidnapping always happens when you least expect it, right? I mean, Amanda didn't expect the day before her birthday 17th birthday, to be kidnapped. It's when we're not paying attention. Now, we get a little more help with how to wake up when we look at the church at Laodicea. He says, write this letter to the angel of the church at Laodicea. I know all the things that you do. And he says that you're neither hot nor cold. You could look at it like this. He says, you know what? You're not a small or a large. He says, you're medium. I wish 
that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm, you're medium, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And yet you don't, what's that next word? Yeah, circle that. You don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now let's think about that for a minute. He says, you think you've got everything that you want, everything that you need. You think that you're a large, but he says you're really a medium. Maybe even a small. He says, you're wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. Now, why would they say, hey, I'm rich. I got all that I need. I think what Jesus is saying here is he's trying to awaken them to the comparison. He's saying, you think that a medium's all you can afford. You think that a medium's all you went to school to be. You think a medium is the top, but compared to your potential, what you're presently experiencing is poor and wretched. In other words, what is he saying to you and me and to the church there in Laodicea? He's telling us that compared to what we were created to be, what we have is so much less. See, you, you think this is all you can be, but what God is saying, uh-uh, no, no, I created you for more. What you have is wretched compared to what you could experience is what he's saying. You think you've got it all? No, 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 no. I created you for so much more. Why settle? Why are you settling for a medium marriage when you can have more? Why, what has convinced you that this is all it can be? Why are you settling for a medium job? Something you have to make yourself do. Can't wait for the weekend. Look forward to spring break. Why? Why do you think that's all there is? That's what he's saying. He says, look, you didn't fall out of a tree and you, you didn't wash up on the shore. You were created to be a large, every single one of us. Wake up. Don't let the enemy sneak up on you and rob the dream that God has put inside of your heart, the desire for more, the passion to make a difference, the belief that you matter. It says, don't you realize? In 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, stay alert, watch out, because there's an enemy, there's a henchman, there's a villain. The devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, looking for someone to kidnap. And you know what I've learned over the year? is that when your desire gets kidnapped, when you lose your passion, losing your joy is not far behind. Medium-type people are not peaceful people. They're not joyful people. It gets kidnapped as well. So he says, be careful. Look out. So how do we, how do we overcome the henchmen of wind? We just wake up. Wake up to the fact that you were created for so much more. The second thing is how do we break free from drifting, these henchmen that, of drift? How do, we, how do we break free from the sense of just ending up in a place where we're like, I don't know how I got here. As a pastor, I hear that so often. I, I don't know how my marriage ended up here. I mean, it's just like I looked up one day, and we didn't love each other anymore. I mean, I don't know how my finances got here. I just... Looked up one day and I said, all this debt. You know? how, 
how do we break free from the drift? Well, we have to strengthen our hearts. Strengthen our hearts. Remember what he said. Our key text is Revelation 3, the church at Sardis. He says, strengthen what little remains. What's he talking about? He's talking about the heart. Strengthen the little that remains. Even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. And I put this in your outline. Reputations outlive our actions. Now, what what is he saying? He's saying that, again, this whole idea of being aware so that you don't drift. It's kind of like there was a time in your life where you did have big dreams. You thought you could be a large, and you were growing, and you were learning. You were the first one at work. You were the last one to leave. You were reading. You were learning. You were talking. You were stretching. But then you stopped. Now, the moment you stop, everything doesn't stop with you, right? I mean, it's kind of like if you're pedaling, 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 and you stop pedaling, there's still a coast. And there's a tendency when you're coasting to think that that coast will go on forever. In other words, the fact that you have a good reputation doesn't mean that you're going to continue to succeed if you have stopped doing what God has asked us to do in order to succeed. That's what he means when he says, I find that your actions, I find that what you're doing doesn't match what people are saying about you. So he's saying, be alert. Let's look at the church at Ephesus. I think it gives us a little more insight in how to strengthen our hearts. He says, write this letter to the angel of the church at Ephesus. I know that all the things that you do, and if you read the whole context, the church at Ephesus was doing all the right things. They were fighting evil. They were standing strong. He says, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you first did. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works You did it first. Some translations say return to your first love. Because see, passion, dreams, desire, it all comes from the heart. And when you and I drift with a calloused heart, what do we have to do? We have to strengthen our heart. And what is a strong heart? A strong heart is a soft heart. A strong heart is a soft heart so that we can hear what God's trying to direct us to do. We can move in conjunction with God's work in our lives, not a calloused heart that can't hear, that can't see, and therefore tends to drift, not because it's intentionally walking in a different direction, it just gets distracted. So we overcome that distraction, how? By having a soft heart, by strengthening our heart. He says, remember, he says, you're doing all the right stuff. Now, think about this for a moment. When you step out, When you do the right stuff, when you decide you're going to be a leader at work, when you announce that you're going to have a great marriage, when you talk about being an amazing parent, anytime somebody steps out, they tend to take arrows. They tend to be criticized. I mean, think about the CEO at your company or the manager at your company or the people in your life. Those who are leading out tend to take arrows. And when you and I take arrows, you know what the tendency is to do? It hurts. (laughs) Arrows hurt, don't they? It hurts when you're doing all that you know to do and somebody criticizes you. Somebody questions your motives. They 
assign to you something that's evil when in your heart you know you're trying to do what is right. What is the tendency to do? When you give your love to another person and they hurt you, what's the tendency? Maybe you've said this. I know I have. I'll never let that person do that again. I'll never let somebody do that, hurt me like that again. Now, the only way in which someone can hurt you is to have what? A hard heart. That's what he's saying. He's saying, remember, remember that success is not just doing the right things. Success is having a soft heart. It's doing them for the right reason. God is much more concerned with our motive. Why? Passion comes from the heart. Love comes from the heart. Desire comes from the heart. So there is a tendency to be hurt when you step out. But then look at these other two passages of Scripture real quick. In Psalm, he says, be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. What's it mean to be of good courage? It means that our circumstances don't change, but we move forward in the presence of our circumstances. In other words, we don't let the arrows keep us from loving. And God will then what? Soften our heart. But here's what I want you to see is Thessalonians. And may the Lord make your love for one another. Remember, that's what he was talking about in Revelation. For one another and for all people grow and overflow. Just as our love for you overflows, may he, as a result, make your hearts, what? Strong, soft. Strong heart is a soft heart. So there's a tendency for me to callous my heart so that you can't hurt me. But then think about the passion of Christ. What does that mean, the passion of Christ? What drove Jesus to the cross? Well, if you read the New Testament, it says that he looked at the people and he said they were like a sheep without a shepherd. In other words, it was the realization in Jesus' heart that without his intervention, people would eternally be separated from God. And it was seeing, it was seeing that outcome and feeling that pain opening his heart to the reality of what would happen in our lives that drove him to do what people wouldn't normally do. It's the passion of the Christ that drove him to the cross, a willingness to open his heart and feel the pain of our eternal separation that caused him to do whatever needed to be done. He said, I don't want to go, but it's not my will, it's your will. Why did he do that? John 3, 16, because God loved you and me. Now, if you and I are going to get our passion back and we're going to get our dreams back, then we have to have soft hearts. Not callous, but soft hearts. Now, what does that mean? It means that we have to once again be willing to feel the pain of those around us. You know what makes a great parent? is a parent that's willing to feel the pain of their children. That when your child gets picked last, it hurts your heart. When your child gets a bad grade when they studied for so many hours, it hurts your heart. When they come home and their boyfriend or girlfriend has dropped them and ripped their heart, it hurts your heart. And it is your willingness to hurt for them that does what? Motivates you. It impassions you. It brings a longing in you to be an effective parent. The same thing is true with leadership. It's a willingness to feel the pain. 
of those you lead. It's what makes parenting hard. It's what makes leadership hard. I can tell you as a pastor, it's what makes pastoring hard. It's a willingness to feel the pain and the hurt of those in which you lead. Can, can, can I tell you why here at Potential Church we do five services instead of one or two? Why we do one on Saturday night and why we do one on Sunday night? Steph and I have been in ministry for 30 years. We've never had a weekend unless we take off. Do you know why? It's because of our willingness to feel the pain of someone who was created to be a large but is experiencing a medium. It's feeling the pain of broken marriages, feeling the pain of addiction, feeling the pain of people settling and believing that somehow they can't launch that business or that they can't break through. It is that pain that drives us to do what? To say we're going to do whatever it takes to get the message of Christ that they were created to be a large into their hearts so that they can walk and live as a large, not as a medium. Listen, this is important. You can want to be big. You can want to be successful with a hard heart, but you cannot be passionate and you cannot have desire without a soft heart without a willingness to be able to actually open yourself up to the hurt of those that you're leading, that those of you're doing life with. So how do we not drift? So we have to have the courage to have a soft heart. Remember what Paul said, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Once you've been hurt, the tendency is to do life like this. You're not going to hurt me. No, I'll, I'll, I'll lead at work, but I'm not going to get too close to anybody because I've been stabbed in the back. I know what it's like to do what you can to try to help somebody do better in their career. Uh, I'm just going to do life like this. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just, what did Paul say? I'm crucified. They didn't crucify people like this. How did they crucify people like this? What does that mean? What, is, what, what does this portray? You get a free shot. You get a free shot. I'm going to crucify myself with Christ so that I can live life with passion, so that I can be driven, so that I can have a longing, so that I can experience my dreams. And then the last, last one, what about discouragement? How do you break free from being kidnapped by discouragement? What did, what did he say? Revelation 3.3, go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold on to it tightly. You got to go back. Go back to what you heard and go back to what you believed. Church in Smyrna. Look at what he says to the church in Smyrna in Revelation 2. He says, write these things to the angel of the church in Smyrna. He says, I know about your suffering. Now, that's disappointing, right? I, I, remember what Joyce Meyer said? She said that discouragement is the result of disappointment. Any, if you wake up and you're sick, aren't you disappointed? Right? So, so he writes and he says, I, I know about your suffering. I know about your poverty. Again, what's poverty? Lack. Have you ever had lack and not been disappointed? Right? He's, so what's he saying? He says, I understand your disappointment. But you are what? What's it say? You are what? Yeah, you're rich. Well, What? Remember, this is the revelation of Jesus that John is writing. 
Why are you rich? You're rich because, because you're his, his son. You're, you're rich because Jesus is your God. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at one time. He owns all the cattle on all the hills. So if I'm going through something, then I have to remember what I heard and what I believed is that I'm going through what I'm going through, not because there's a lack, because he owns everything. Not because I can't be healed, because he's the great physician. It must be what James said, that in trials, God prepares us for the large that we were created to be. And so even though you look at me and see my illness or you see my poverty, what I see is that all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purposes of God. What I see is that God is taking me through something to prepare me for a large. Because that's what I was created to be. And that, that's what he goes to. Don't be afraid of what you're going through, about what you're about to suffer. Even remain faithful if you're facing death. Why? Because I will give you the crown of life. In other words, ultimately, I am in control. Where you start is not where you have to end. Remember what you heard. How do you overcome discouragement that is the result of being disappointed? That God didn't do. I mean, that's what happens to me when God doesn't do what I thought he would when I thought he would. We've, I've got big dreams like you. If you're a part of Potential Church, right, you know Potential Church has big dreams, 50 campuses, reach 100,000 people, $150 million. And so when that doesn't happen, the timing that we thought that it would happen, what does that bring? That brings disappointment. You know what disappointment can do? It can bring doubt, can it? And what is that doubt? Probably never happened. I mean, that happens for other people, but, but not for me. Doubt causes us to settle. We get discouraged. Discouragement causes us to settle. Well, how do we overcome that discouragement? Not by focusing on what we see, but being reminded of what we heard and what we believed. What was it that gave you that dream? What was it that put that passion inside of your heart? What was it that caused you to believe that you could accomplish a large marriage or be a large parent or have a large business? It was what you heard. It's what it says in Psalm 139. David says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And what was true for David, of course, is true for you and I. You didn't fall out of a tree and you didn't wash up on the shore. No, thank you, God, for making me so, what are those next two words? Wonderfully complex. Who's wonderfully complex? Who is? You are. I am. Your workmanship is what? No, no, you, this is, he's talking about you. It's good news. I mean, marvelous is a good word, right? Who, who, who's marvelous? Yeah, look at the person beside you. Look at them, to your left, to your right. Now I want you to point at them. I know it's not right. You can do Donald Trump style if you want to. Here we go. Say, you are marvelous. And then what are the next words in that scripture? What are the next words in that scripture? 
How well I know it. Why? Because my focus is not on what I see. My focus is on what God said. And he said that I am a large. It doesn't matter if my employer let me go. It's because my employer didn't know that my God said I am a large. And I know it. And I'm going to operate not on what I see, but I'm going to operate on what God said. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, what does it say? We are God's what? Masterpiece. That's not a few of us. It's not some of us. It's, it's all of us. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's large. Don't. Allow your desire. Don't allow your passion. Don't allow your dreams to be kidnapped by a bunch of henchmen that in reality have no power to hold you hostage. You say, well, Troy, how do you know that? Remember the three girls. The three girls <clears throat> were Amanda and Gina and Michelle. They were hostage. They weren't saved by the SWAT team, were they? It wasn't a bunch of police that broke in and saved him. Remember what happened? Amanda saw a door unlocked, and she took a risk that Mr. Castro was gone, and she went to the door. And it's so interesting that when she opened the door, when she went to the door and she opened the door, I believe, <clears throat> right, that God had prepared a neighbor. A neighbor was there. Now, I don't know. That neighbor could have been there every day. She may just not have went to the door. But when she went to the door, there was a neighbor there that brought about their freedom. See, my challenge to you is to not wait for something to fall out of the sky, to not wait for something miraculous to happen on the outside. Does God do miracles? Yes, he does. But God calls us here. Look at Revelation chapter 3. Remember what it said? It said that we need to go back and remember. And then he says this. He says, repent and return. To repent and return. Who is that on? That's on you and me. He says, we need to go to the door. We need to stop sitting in our chairs being discouraged and defeated, looking around at all the reasons we have to believe that we're a medium, maybe even a small. No, no, no. I need to repent, which is a change of mind, that I am a masterpiece. I am marvelous. And I see a way out, and that's what I'm going to go for. Last scripture, James chapter 4. I want you to realize that you have the authority to do this in James chapter, or First Peter, I think it is. If you guys have put that last scripture up there, it's not in your outline. It says, resist the devil, and he what? He has to flee. Just like, oh, Mr. Castro, he has to get out of the way. But even when he's out of the way, what's the next thing it says? You got to go to the door. You got to get off your chair and you got to go to the door. And if you go to the door, what? God will come close to you. But you got to go. This is the day that you and I walk out of these doors to no longer be held hostage by medium. We are large and we will live large and declare. And so I, I just encourage you. That is my heart's desire for your marriage, for your business, for your spiritual life. Don't settle for these. When you were created to be this, would you bow your head? With your head bowed and your eyes closed, just kind of you and God. He says to 
repent and to return. I don't know if you've drifted or you're just tired or you're discouraged, but I ask you, will you be willing to risk, strengthen your heart, let your heart be soft once again, to take the risk and the willingness to feel the hurt of those around you? step out in faith believing that on the other side of the door will be God Father I pray that we will be what you created us to be I pray for the big dreams that are in this room I pray for the desires the longing to make a difference to change the world to have a great marriage pray that we'll no longer be kidnapped. Today is the day of our freedom. We believe it. We declare it. And we will walk in it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can you give God a hand?